Hello, Smoke em If You Got em listeners. This is Nancy Rommelman here with Sarah Heppela. Hello. Um, we have a special little dispatch today. I'm going to give you a little intro about it before we start with our guest. So um, in October 2017, uh, a spreadsheet was sent around to a bunch of gals. Uh, it was called the Shitty Media Men List. And for about 12 hours, uh, people in media, uh, women in media, uh, put down, you know, things that had happened to them, uh, ranging from like, you know, creepy DMs to what they called rape. This was all anonymous. It was on a spreadsheet. I can't, I cannot overstate how big a conflagration this was in media. It was literally like pouring a, a, a plane load of gasoline on a fire. Um, I was in New York at the time. I was sent the list the day after it had published. It had been taken offline, but of course it spread around. Um, I was sitting with um, Jennifer Sr. and Bob Kolker, two of the best journalists going. We looked at the list and it was like, we all knew people on the list. We were like, what the hell is going on. It was it was very curious. It was very disturbing, and the fallout started almost immediately. Um, one of the people on the list was a writer uh, and a filmmaker, and the founding editor of the Rumpus, named Stephen Elliott. Now, I had met Stephen, I think, once at that time through our mutual friend, uh, um, the writer uh, Nick Flynn. Um, we have since become friends, and about a year after this list came out, Stephen decided to take the creator of the list, uh, Maura Donegan, to court. Uh, I've sort of been following this. We've talked about it a lot. I've wanted to talk to him further. And this week in New York Magazine, there is a feature article about this very case and Maura Donegan and Stephen Elliott. So I asked Stephen yesterday if he would jump on with us today. And he said yes. And so he is here with us, Stephen. Welcome to Smoke Him If You Got Him. Hi. Uh, thanks. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice to be here. Yeah. So I'm not going to go over uh, chapter and verse what happened. I'm sure Sarah has some questions. I have some questions too. But if you would like, or if you will, um, can you kind of tell us about uh, this odyssey, how it started and what happened for you? Well, it's been pretty crazy, you know. Um uh, you know, when I first found out about this list and that I was on it, uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's really bad. And then uh, I found out, you know, that it was uh, rape accusations. And like initially my reaction was kind of like, oh, phew, you know, like I knew that wasn't true. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I didn't want to be the person uh, responsible for, you know, really hurting somebody. And of course, you know, we've all hurt people and it's, the nature of things, but um, uh, I just want to interrupt real quickly and say, what were the other? The other ones were it said it said three things, right? It said uh, multiple rape accusations, uh, unsolicited invitations to his apartment, which is you know a super strange accusation because I've never been solicited to invite somebody to my apartment. If I invite right. somebody to my apartment, it's always unsolicited, you know, <laughs> in my experience, you know, and. Um, and uh, oh, coercion, and, 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 I think, uh, and sexual harassment. I'm reading from the story right now. Yeah, I don't think I'm trying to think my actual like the, the line that fits me, I think, was, um, uh, you know, 
and I, I don't, I'm just trying, I don't remember exactly what it said. You know, it, def, it said dude snuck into binders, which is like a Facebook group. I didn't know about, like I had nothing to do. I didn't sneak into binders. I didn't even know I was a member of binders. I don't even go on Facebook and probably somebody just put me in it. It doesn't, you know, I know. I mean, but the only thing that mattered of course was, you know, that I was multiple rape accusations. Sure. That one's going to jump you know? out at you. But the fact that you knew that it wasn't true, then you're sort of almost relieved in that moment. Cause you're like, Oh, this is yeah. bullshit. Yeah, well, I knew it was a malicious accusation. Like, I don't actually enjoy penetrative sex, you know? And, and, and like, the times that I've had penetrative sex would be, like, when my girlfriend, like, tied me up and put a hood on me and then they climbed on top of me. You know what I mean? Like, You should probably explain a little bit more about what well, you're, what you're interested in know, sexually. You know, I'm, I'm, like, sexually submissive. And um, so I, I'm – and – Kink for me is not like foreplay. It's kind of the only thing. I'm not actually interested in any kind of like vanilla sex. I don't, I don't find like, like I dated somebody for several years who I never saw naked. You know what I mean? Like, and it was an actual relationship. You know, I mean, she saw me naked and we did, we had intersections of desire and things. She identified as a lesbian and, um, it worked for both of us. It was fine, you know, uh, but, you know, I, so unlike almost anybody, and oh, and also I had written about this. I'd been open about my sexuality, you know, and um, I wrote a book called My Girlfriend Comes to the City and Beats Me Up. You know, I've been public, you know, so it wasn't, I'd been on tour with the Sex Workers Art Show, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, open about this stuff. So I, I knew, I knew that there was nobody out there that actually thought I raped them. I knew for certain the accusation was malicious. And I think other people on the list that had these like uh, heavy accusations weren't necessarily as sure of that because especially at the time during me too, when it's really blowing up, people are remembering things differently. You know, people that maybe had a, a relationship that they thought was consensual. The other person is now remembering it's not consensual. Right. But There's a recategorization. There's like a broad scale recategorization yeah. of a lot of sexual interactions. Yeah. But I, I knew I that wasn't happening with me because I wasn't having that kind of sex. You I, know, would I knew also that like, nobody, you know, I'm just going to add here that this this list came out the week after the huge story uh, uh, about Harvey Weinstein. So it was definitely crackling in the air that it was now time for a certain comeuppance and whether it was going to be like an individual comeuppance. The word is or, reckoning, Nancy. Reckoning. Sorry, reckoning. Uh, I mean, it's um, kind of a foundational document of the Me Too movement. This was like, right, you know, the thing. Right, right. So just wanted to put, I wanted to just explain what time it was in the country and in the culture. And the the thing is, if, you know, it's a foundational document and if somebody on this list is falsely accused of rape, it kind of invalidates the whole project actually, you know? And so of course, like pushing back against it, uh, you know, is is a big deal. Did you at that time defend it? Did you at mm-hmm. the time, I mean, I remember how frightened people were by this in terms of men, because I knew several men on the list. I actually saw one of them last night and he said to me, he said, you know, Stephen would be be pretty stupid to be, if he had raped anybody to bring this case, it would be pretty stupid, right? So um, mm-hmm. um, did you at the time say anything? I mean, how did you react at no, the it's time? It's so crazy, you know? Like, the article makes it seem like there was no consequences for me until after I filed the lawsuit, which is insane, you know? Um, 
I went to like, a, you know, I became really depressed. You know, people kind of stopped calling me and inviting me to things, you know, and my like TV agent stopped returning my calls. And I'd be like, I wouldn't know if it was because they knew about the list. At the same time, I didn't want to spread this false accusation. So like my best friends for months and months did not know that I'd been falsely accused of rape because like my closest friends are not in the literary community. So I didn't want to tell them about this thing because like, let's say I tell my friend and uh, and he believes me, of course, he knows me. But then, you know, that night he tells his wife like, oh, you're not going to believe what Stephen." And then his wife goes to work and she tells somebody else. Right. I didn't want to spread it. Like the worst thing was I remember like six months in or something, I, you know, I get a phone call from my sister. You know, and she's been at like some dinner party and somebody brought it up to her, you know, oh, wow. like I had not, I had not told my sister, you know, and I hadn't told my own family about it. You know, it was really deeply painful, actually. I, I don't, I don't think people understand the slow, quiet creep um, or, or like also like the airlessness in the room when something like this happens. I think, you know, when somebody is falsely accused, the assumption is that you would go on and defend yourself, but you have a situation where you don't want to defend yourself publicly. You don't want to spread this information, mm-hmm. right? So you're yeah. in constant fear of who knows and wh- yeah. you know why, yeah. why are they stepping away from me? Could be that somebody just didn't respond to your email. It could also be that somebody has now decided that you're a toxic individual they need to cut from your life. Right. I mean, like, I know a lot of things got canceled. You know, I had a, a regular gig, you know, teaching in Provincetown every summer. You know, I, I was supposed to go to the L.A. Book Fair and that got canceled. There was an interview of me coming out in the Paris Review. That was canceled. I had a book come out that was completely not reviewed, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. was supposed to be excerpt and lit hub and so forth. So there was things that were like obvious, but then the, the then there was things more sinister and I got so depressed. And you know what happened? After about a year, a little less, I wrote about it. I, wrote, I published an essay about it uh, in Quillette. Originally, it was, the right leaning publication, Quillette, right. yeah. according so, to Lily um, Shapiro, which is not es- exactly right. The essay was originally accepted and edited, you know, and was scheduled to run in New York Magazine, yeah. you know. And then it was also accepted in The Guardian in London. And both after accepting it, you know, that, and senior editors accepted we're doing it, you know then backed out because of pushbacks from below. And then I published in Quillette. But I tell you, the point I'm making is not about where it's published, though. It's like, I just felt this enormous relief when I came out of the closet and was just, it was literally like coming out of the closet. Like, you know, like, like, hey, I just want everybody to know I've been falsely accused of this thing. And, you know, that's the reality of it, you know, and you can believe the accusation or not, but I don't want to live this way. You know, well, you're a writer who's made his entire career on telling uncomfortable truths. I have to imagine that this was this is just also like who you are. Yeah, I think so. But I think there's there's something to like holding a secret and not being able to tell anybody that's just a really heavy weight. You know, I mean, I've never I I was I mean, I literally I was in such a depression. You know, I was like crying like every day, like so hard and like. And it went away after the, after I published that article. Like, like I mean, I went through a really hard time, you know? Like, my car was vandalized. Like, they spray-painted rapist all over my car. And you know, your my house, house too. Van- yeah, my house was vandalized. I kind of didn't go outside for like a year after the filing the lawsuit. I kind of became really internal, you know? I um, But I didn't start crying again. You know, I didn't have those suicidal thoughts. I kind of, I was, I was maybe a different kind of depressed. I was like, definitely like, maybe checked out and numb or something like that, you know, but it wasn't the same. 
you know. Stephen, are you aware of, of what this experience was like for other men on the list? Do you have any insight yeah, into that? I oh, am yeah. because what happened when I wrote about it and then when I filed the lawsuit, you know, which by the way, I had to file to the statute of limitations. I either filed it then or I didn't, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah. So then because I'm the first person to push back on this, on this madness, you know, uh, all of these people that have been on the list or have been accused, but weren't on the list, uh, they, they started contacting me. Of course, it's self-selecting. The people that are contacting me are people who believe they're innocent, you know? So, um, there's that obviously, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just horror stories, you know, people who, whose family turned on them, you know, mm-hmm. whose, whose people, you know, whose lives were lives, just, lives just completely ruined. And, and I, I think the thing that always bothered me the most, uh, was the no consequences crowd. You know, the people like, Oh, you know, you know, this person, you know, didn't face any consequences, huh. you know, like it's because so there had crazy. Been no le- because there had been no legal consequences is what you're saying. Yeah. Or they, or they're working somewhere, they're, you know, right, or they published right, right. something or they, or they did a comedy show and people showed up to it. Therefore, there were no consequences. Like right. any, just because you don't know about the consequences, somehow there are no consequences. But, like people think that I didn't face any consequences until I filed a lawsuit, you know, just because they don't know about the consequences. That's right. And there's all, but there's also the crowd that's like, well, so what? So what? There, well, that, look look what second, happened for women for, you know, millennia. It's, it's, it's too bad. It's the same crowd. No, it's yeah. the same crowd. Yeah. First, first it says no consequences. And then, and then if you show them, no, look, the really serious things happened in my life. It was a complete disaster. Then the next response is, well, who cares? And it's literally the same people there. And, and people are capable of holding those two ideas at the same time, which is interesting. Didn't you start humanity. a GoFundMe for one particular guy that was on the list? I don't remember I his did. name. Uh, he wrote Michael, an article uh, that was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah, Michael, uh, I Mike Tunison. Um, yeah, he, his life had just been completely destroyed and he was in such a bad financial, uh, strait. And I started a GoFundMe for him. And I think we raised like $4,000. I mean, he was like on the verge of getting thrown out of his apartment. You know what I mean? He was in such a bad place. And he was a guy that, you know, used to be able to get regular work and now nobody would hire him. The thing, the thing also that is so frustrating, if we didn't make it clear, is that these accusations are anonymous. Okay. So you don't know who is accusing you and they can just go on their merry way though. I'm sure, you know, I have to imagine Stephen, and we're going to get to a second into your lawsuit that whoever did put your name on the list or maybe more than one person, I I think Mm, she's probably had some attacks of nerves um, over the past few years because, you know, you've, 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 you're making an accusation that you cannot back up and you're anonymous, but you know, you might not stay anonymous. I mean, it's almost certainly, you know, this editor that I fired at the rumpus, you know, she's the only person that like hated me with that level of just like insanity. But that's the person that I was never romantic with, never sexual with. I can't say for certain it's her, but um, that's who I think, you know, I mean, who, whoever put me on that list is not someone I had any erotic entanglement with whatsoever in any shape or form, you know. So let's talk a little bit about you making the decision um, to uh, file this suit. I want to know exactly what it is. I know it does include defamation. Um, mm-hmm. And I also, I mean, it's been very interesting. I, I've known you uh, as this suit has gone on and and several times when things could have gone down in flames or gone Donegan's way, they haven't, which is 
interesting. And I'm, I'm very interested in why you think that is. So, so talk a little bit about the suit and, and what's yeah. happened. I mean, I always knew their claims, you know, like they were trying to hide behind Section 230, which is like what protects Google if from being sued for what goes on a Google spreadsheet. Right. You know, but the claim behind Section 230 would have to be like the equivalent of I posted this piece of paper on a tree and I walked away and then a bunch of people came by and filled it out and I had nothing to do with it. Right. That's the equivalent, you know, and I knew it was never going to fly. Like people were always talking about how the list would be dismissed. And it was obviously ridiculous. That, you know, it was never going to go under 230. She had edited the list. She had put her own names on the list. I believe, you know, she had, uh, underlined, you know, there are people accused of uh, serious sexual assault. Their names are outlined in red. Yeah. Who did, who did the outlining? Who did the editing? You know, I have a picture, I have a screenshot of Moyer Donigan editing the document. Uh, uh, while tw- at, at the point where 12 uh, accusations are already on it. And it says, you know, you know, last edited by Maura Donigan. I mean, she's, she's, so I knew it wouldn't apply. And it's funny because like, you know, in that article, they make it seem like Moira has like suffered all these consequences and hardships from this lawsuit, but they're the ones continually stalling and trying to make the lawsuit go on forever. You know, like if they weren't, you know, filing these absurd motions, you know, like, like trying to hide behind section 230, we would already have gone to court. You know, we're not we're not the ones fighting to make this thing go on longer. You know, do, they, do you think that they just think if the it'll just eventually die if you just if they that you'll go away mm-hmm. or that people stop caring? We would. Yeah. They, they're yeah. just going to yeah, kick I think the some can? of that, or okay. or that I'll I'll get tired of it. You know, that I'll just be like, okay, I just want to go on my life. And, you know, the last um, one about I guess around what was it, about a year ago, maybe a little less. You told me what I what I thought was interesting was she was claiming like, well, I didn't know this was going to go viral. The idea that, right. that this would not leak when it's all journalists and media people is I find that absurd. But OK, well, I can I mean, I think everyone underestimates the Internet in a certain way. I mean, mm, I, I you know what? What? There's there's evidence, though, right? There's OK. She has these deleted tweets, you know where she is actually like promoting the list after taking it down because she knew it was out there still circulating, you know? Mm-hmm. So she actually was actually trying to spread the word about it. Even after she took it down in a panic, apparent, you know, you know, supposedly when Buzzfeed wrote about the list, furthermore, you know, she says things in her essay when she came out of like how the list wasn't supposed to have any consequences, you know? And then, then you see her tweeting things like, you know, Hey, so and so, we're coming to get you. You know, the people who are on the list. You know, days later. Really? You know. So, oh uh, yeah. yeah. And I have the, and I have these. You know, I have all these deleted tweets. They were sent to me anonymously. I don't know, some random yeah. uh, proton mail. So all the things about you know her not not knowing it was going to go public or have consequences are are simply a lie. You know, and 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 provably false is the thing. It's not speculation. I have the the I have her saying these things. And wasn't it the case? Hadn't she already gone to market with a book of the same name before? Yeah. yeah. So explain that because that I thought was yeah. kind of indicting. Yeah, like, I mean, almost immediately after the list came down, uh, uh, within months, certainly uh, she was pitching a book called Shitty Media Men. You know, and she sold a book uh, with a six figure advance to Scribner based on this pitch, you know, and then, you know, what's going on so, with that yeah. book, by the way, she sold it back in 2018. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on with it. You know, I know, I know that like that, that book advance belongs to me in my opinion, 
you know, like, I don't think she should be able to make money off of creating this list, you know. Yeah, let's let's see. You know, let, I I wonder sometimes. You know, we we people that don't like these kinds of pylons and cancels and and anonymous accusations, which I think all of us in this room count as those kinds of people. We sometimes hope or feel that that the tide is shifting, that people are getting a little a little tired of this, and maybe don't have the appetite. I mean, if she had come out with that book in 2018 that book would have sold because there was still a gigantic appetite for, for burning down men in particular. But I, I mean, that's I, when she pitched it, you know, right. it did sell. It did yeah. sell. It's yeah. just that she didn't write it in time. I don't know if the, there's the appetite for it. I think there must be a lot of fear about legal repercussions as well. Um, yeah, prob- probably, probably true. And she might not be, she might not have the ability to write a book. Like writing a book is hard. And it's very hard. People, I'm not going to throw shade on anybody you know, that hasn't turned in their book. Cause I sold a book a while ago. I'm still working on it. Yeah, <laughs> Love to yeah, all those yeah. people. You'll make it through. You know. Um, Steven, I wanted to ask you, you know, the, the New York magazine piece, which I thought was, um, I just thought it was pretty good, um, in terms of talking about, you know, Maura Donegan, who created this, is a complicated figure. Um, but so are you. And, uh, you know, I wondered, y- y- you didn't feel like the multiple, you knew the multiple rape accusations were false. But is there a part of you that that wonders if there was other things that you did um, for which you could be uh on that list. Like, like maybe, you know, you do have an unconventional sexual life. This, this story, uh, portrays you whether fairly or not as someone that has maybe a problem with boundaries. I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because right. If, if, if if I was on the list and it said, you know, even if it just said like sexual harassment or something like that, right. you You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, obviously I wouldn't have had a lawsuit for starters, you know, and I, you know, I wouldn't have pushed back, I think, because a lot of that is subjective. It is. You know, and prior to being mobbed, you know what I mean? Like, I would have taken that kind of an accusation really seriously, you know, because like, okay, you know, like, if I made somebody uncomfortable, then I'm sorry, and I want to apologize. The problem is, once you get mobbed, and all these people start jumping on this bandwagon, the accusation, it's kind of like false accusations beget false accusations. 100%. And then you start, and then you start seeing stuff that's like crazy from people that just want attention, you know, like, um, like, uh, Liz Lenz, you know, comes out and says, you know, uh, first it was, he made me uncomfortable at this, you know, at this literary event. Uh, then it was, you know, I pulled, you know, she was working in the rumpus booth as a volunteer and, and apparently I pulled the money that we had raised out of her po- back pocket. You know, and that she writes that, you know, that morphs. And, that, and so that's the initial camp complaint. You know, within a month, it's, you know, he was he was groping me. You know, two months later, I, he was sexually harassing me while, while while I was employed at the Rumpus. And it's like you were first you weren't employed. You were volunteering at a table. Mm-hmm. You know, I met you one time, you know, and I don't I don't remember pulling money out of your pocket as possible. So, you know, these things have a life or things like Sari Baden, who I thought we were like close friends, you know, and we were working on this project and nobody's being paid, you know, and, um, and I laid my head in her lap. I told, I believe her when she says I did that, you know, and I'm sorry if it made her uncomfortable, but also you're like 65 years old. You know, you can tell me you, you're, oh, you're not a child. You can tell me, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, she's at least 10 years older than me. Now I'm 50. You know, you can tell me if I'm making you uncomfortable or something. And, and I get to me, the idea that it's sexual is, you know, bizarre. I know because I know it isn't. But if she's uncomfortable, 
she's an adult. We're close friends. You can tell me, you know, you can tell me like, Hey, I'm not really comfortable with that. I'm really, I'm like, Oh, and I'm so sorry. And we would have just gone on from there, you know? Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's entirely possible and likely that, you know, in the course, you know, of the rumpus and, and all these parties and stuff that I made people uncomfortable or I assumed a familiarity that we didn't have. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would apologize for that. But the problem with the article is it makes things like that, like laying your head in, in somebody's lap, it says, okay, well, so it's okay to falsely accuse this person of rape because he's so awful. That's to me how I read that article. It's just making an excuse. It's like, it makes it clear the rape accusation is false, but look, he's such a terrible person. So it's really his own fault. And I don't think it's excusable. I don't think it's, you can excuse a false rape accusation. I don't think it's like, you, okay, you, can't if you don't un- like the guy. You can't unring that bell. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, I know people that were on that list that had the same thing and their their lives are their lives have been radically, radically changed. Let's just put it that way. And, and you go through depression and you go through, I mean, you can talk a little about this. Like people do abandon you. Like people that you really thought were like your super good people and your friends, they dip because they're afraid um, that your shame is going to splash onto them or, or some such. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about that at all? Like uh, what I mean, this you know, is like? like? The, you know, the literary community is a low integrity community just in the most general sense, you know, like if you were to take a, if you were to look at different communities and like measure the integrity, I think that poets, you know, the literary world would be below even like media and politicians. I think because, you know, uh, it, you know, it'd be even below maybe academics, you know, or a subset of academics It would really be at the bottom because, you know, it's a, it's a zero sum game. It's a tiny audience and they are their own audience, right? And they're fighting yeah. for scraps, you know, so they're yeah. already just fighting for just nothing. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I had, I had all these close friends in the community and it was, you know, just extremely painful. A lot of them publicly turned on me and it was just like, yeah, it was just one of the most painful things I've ever been through to experience that. Not a single one of them, not a single person in the literary community publicly supported me. I got some phone calls you know, from, you know, from the Matthew, the Pruders of the world and stuff like, but, you know, or not phone calls, even just like messages and like, you know, but then, then he'll go out and like tweet how cancel culture doesn't exist, you know, like cancel culture doesn't exist, but I can only, you know, send you a private message. I can't publicly defend you. You know, so what do you, that's, that's what cancel culture is. Like your, your inability to publicly defend me is literally what we're talking about, you know? And it was just, you know, it was just so depressing. Also, it was all these people who knew that the charge was false. They all knew I didn't rape anybody. Like nobody thought I raped anybody. You know? And even when they're, even the people that are making these like horrific statements, you know, like my editor, like, you know, like Ethan Nasowski was like, you know, we don't, you know, we don't support this lawsuit and stuff. Didn't even mention the rape charge when he made his statement because he knew the rape charge was false. And he knew that if he mentioned a false rape charge, it would justify the lawsuit. You know, they just, they just avoided in, in, in the initial articles about it. They didn't even mention that, that the charge was rape. You know, and it was just so, uh, yeah, it was deeply upsetting, you know, to people, you know, and, and I just had this huge community and they were gone. And I had a few close friends that were not in that world and I kept them, of course, but suddenly I just knew so few people. And I was living in LA where I just moved there. I didn't know that many people there. And I just didn't, you know, I was just like alone, you know, for the next couple of years, just like, you know, I had one or two people to call and you can only talk about the same thing with those people so many times, you know, it was right. just like an incredibly lonely uh, experience. And, and 
it was worse because of the community I was in, which is a horrible community to be in, in a situation like that. I do, at least in my experience, and I'm, I'm sure it is in yours too, to a certain extent, you also, you will find yourself surprised. There will be people that sort of, that maybe you didn't even know before that will yeah, stand yeah. up for you or That's stand true, with but you. The, but I they mean, won't be from the literary world. Yep. <laughs> I mean, okay, like you, you guys, you guys, <laughs> you guys occupy a space that's already clearly defined in that world. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's different, you know? So like, of course, you know, Kathy Young is going to support you if you're falsely accused, you know, but that's right. not even a sacrifice to her. That's already her brand. That's her brand. I love her and she's great, you know, but it's not actually like somebody like going out on a limb for you, you know, when yeah. they're already in a certain space. I'm talking, you know, in the world of like literary fiction, and poetry, there is no uh, diversity of opinion on any of these things. There it's are been, no heterodox people there, you know. I mean, it's interesting your characterization of the literary world because, of course, uh, you know, I grew up at a time in the in the seventies and eighties when I think of the literary world, at least historically, as being the opposite of that. I mean, it was really right. like, like you know, boisterous and full of bad behavior, and that was sort of one of the joys and. And yeah. excitements of a life of art is that it was a life uh, that didn't have boundaries, that um, sort of played in the margins on uh, in, in many, many ways. When do you think this changed? You know, I wasn't there at the time. And I so I only I, like you, I, I kind of only know it as like an ideal. You know, maybe it wasn't that way. You know what I mean? So I, yeah, I don't. Right. I, you know, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's you know, a myth. Yeah, maybe it's a myth. Maybe like maybe the literary world's just always full of just the lowest form of people, you know. And and of course, <laughs> there's true. Like, I'm pushing there, back there, on this. There's a lot. There's a lot of exceptions, you know. I'm talking very broad strokes here, you know. But like in the sex worker community, there, you know, which which I'm part of, you know, I was a sex worker in my twenties, and uh, I know a lot of people in that world. I participate in that world, especially in the BDSM world, you know. Um, and there were people in that world that totally abandoned me, you know, but there were other people that publicly supported me, you know, like really well-known, respected people who did not care who knew, you know, what the repercussions were, you know, just the, just the fact that there was diversity of opinion was such a huge uh, uh, difference between the literary community that it was shocking. Like the, the sex workers have so like, and it's obvious you know, and it's not, it's not every sex worker and it's not every poet or writer, you know, but on balance and in general, mm -hmm. you can say that sex workers have significantly more integrity than literary writers. I and there's no possibly, doubt about it. Well, that's interesting. But I would also pass. I would I would want to point out that sex workers are already living outside the margins. They they sort of like you said about Kathy Young, it's their brand. Um, mm -hmm. Literary no, I mean, people, people have a lot of status to lose. I think this is a status story. You know, yeah, that if yeah. you know, the the when someone becomes <clears throat> untouchable. It is just, you don't want any proximity to them. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna respond to their tweets. You know, you just, you, you want total uh, separation yeah. from this person that might tarnish you because you are in a, a fight to get whatever scraps you can off the table in this, this life that we all know is incredibly difficult. It's a real hustle. Yeah. Yeah. You might be right. You know, but I mean, I think of people like Ariana Chevalier who like 
was the first like black female owner of a major dungeon in New York, you know, and she's renting to all these other women. It has like, you know, all these different rooms and, and, you know, for her to like go publicly and defend a client, you know, from an accusation of rape, you know, the idea that there's no consequences for that, like that is risky, you know, like, you know, that's not a thing. That's not a thing that she can just do, you know, casually, you know, but she didn't care, you know, and just the fact that someone like that exists in that world, you know, and, tells you that 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 world has more integrity you know what i mean because nobody like that exists you know in in the literary world in my experience you know and there were multiple people like that though that got us tangent and other people that were willing that were just did not care that it, that it might be bad for them you know they knew what they knew and, that, and this was you know they were gonna say it so you had let me know i guess about a week ago that this piece was coming out and you know you didn't know what it was going to say but there was sort of the idea that it was going to be sort of a direct, you know, a direct hit, like a really, really bad hit. And Sarah and I each read it yesterday. I reread it this morning. And Sarah and I both had sort of the same reaction to it, which is it wasn't really a giant hit piece. Yes, the author did sort of have a point of view, which he kind of starts the piece with and ends it, which is like, well, look, yeah, maybe the shitty media, media men list wasn't great in some ways, but it was a it was something that needed to happen. It was like the time, and maybe some good came out of it. Um, but she certainly did not make Donegan look heroic. I mean, I I am really not a big fan of Donegan's, as you know, and 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 this list in general. Is, but the the anonymity part of it just drives me berserk. And I thought you had a good point in the piece. You, you there's, you're quoted as saying like you could maybe see like you know if 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 also the accused would be anonymous, then maybe you could have something like this that would work. Um, but I'm curious what you did. You think the piece? The one thing I did disagree with. I don't know why. I'm I'm kind of pretty sure you probably let the writer know that rapist had been spray painted across your house. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I let her. Yeah. And I I thought that omission, sorry, I'll stop in a second. I really thought that omission was not okay because you really are obligated to put it. I mean, if somebody told me this in the story, it's like, that's absolutely going in the piece, even if I have a slightly different point of view. So she left that out. But I, I also thought that she it was it was more balanced than I thought it was going to be. And Sarah sort of had the same reaction. And I'm I wondering did. what you thought. I do agree with that, uh, that analysis. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't read it when we originally talked, obviously, because it wasn't out. Sure. You know? sure. And it, it was, I think, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But also, I agree with what, what, the second thing you said. You know, she had, I had told her that my house had been vandalized and somebody spray painted rapist, you know, on all sides of my car. And I sent her pictures and she was even kind of like credulous where she was like, we're like, well, she, she wants to see the police reports. So I got her the police reports, you know what I mean? Like, and so like, literally I got her the pictures, I got her the police reports, you know, and then she still didn't hmm. even mention that's, in her article. That's you terrible. Know, that's the fact terrible. That she would like go so far as to like ask for the police report and still like not mention it because it didn't play into what I think is really the theme of the whole piece. It like, which is that, being accused of rape is not that big of a deal, you know, and it's, this is, and, and also this has been really hard for Moira. I think she is the point she's making, you know, but she, but, but, but not hard for me. And if it is hard for me, I brought it on myself, you know, and, you know, and I'm not the one that falsely accused me of rape. You know, I didn't choose to be in this situation or to be the person, you know, filing a lawsuit, you know, 
So it's like, like that wasn't, that wasn't my call. Like Moyer made choices. You know, I'm just like a victim of the situation, you know, like, um, and no matter the, you know, they quote people like not liking me saying really mean things about me, but I don't think any of those things they say justify a false rape accusation. You know, like, I'm sorry I made you uncomfortable. Yeah. And the thing is that if, if a rape accusation was no big deal, then why did people make it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and why, why is it so important we take it seriously? You know, which by the way, it is, it is a big deal and sure. it is important we take it seriously. And, and it is underreported, you know, it's the craziest thing. It's like, you know, sexual harassment is underreported, rape, you know, sexual assault is underreported. And there seems to be this belief that like, you either believe that, you know, or you believe, you know, that, that, you know, rape never happened. So, you know what I mean? You're either on one side or the other. You can't believe that false accusations are bad and, you know, uh, you know, and that sexual assault is underreported. Stephen, I want to go back to this idea that you might have made people that you worked with uncomfortable. I, I wanted to ask you a question yeah. about that because sure. one of the things that... I'm I'm going to have to leave in half a second, but yes, go okay, ahead. Okay, one of the things that concerns me is how easy it's become to make um, accusations or talk about people's behavior <laughs> online or on something like this, and and how difficult people say it is. I think it's getting harder and harder to look someone in the eye and tell them, this makes me uncomfortable. I wondered if anybody had actually brought some of this behavior to your awareness. Um. You know, I mean, yeah, I had, you know, already somebody written an article about, you know, me making them uncomfortable, you know, uh, after a literary event. You're you know, talking about I'd Claire Vay Watkins' piece. Yeah. And I, I apologize and I had not pushed back on the piece, even though in a lot of ways it's not a very generous uh, piece. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, but... Again, you know, but you I'm, know, saying so you your face. Speech, I'm saying you know? to your face, mm -hmm. I'm saying not not somebody that that did, right, uh, right, you know, right. something for Tin House, not somebody that did something on a Google Doc, somebody saying to you, Stephen, you make me this makes me uncomfortable. You are touching me. It's not I don't like it. It's well, I'm not I'm not someone that touches. Well, you know, you're putting my your yeah. head in my lap. That apparently seems to be a trend. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, right? I mean, especially, you know, somebody, you know, you think is a close friend, you know what I mean? It's like, I was probably that person that would do that, you know, like, and I thought that was okay, you know, but, um, but times change, you know, and also, you know, uh, yeah, if I make somebody uncomfortable, then I would apologize for it and, and modify my behavior, you know? I've got, I'm sorry, guys. I have to go. All right. Well, we're going to be keep, we're going to be keeping All an right. eye on this. Stephen, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for okay. joining bye. us, Stephen. Okay, bye. Hey, all right, let's let's keep talking a little yeah. bit for a second. Yeah. I thought your question is interesting. So you're asking basically what I think you're asking is, all right, so did anybody actually say to you like directly, Stephen, don't do that. You're making me uncomfortable, which yes. is something you and I have talked about a lot. It's like if you don't like what someone's doing, like you have like you have legs to get up and walk out of the room. You have a voice then you can say things as opposed to waiting 10 days, 2 years 25 years and then saying, listen, this happened to me and this is why this person deserves to be, you know, pilloried or whatever it is. Is that what you're asking? Yes. And it's also, this is, <laughs> this is the ongoing pattern of behavior that I would like to address, you know, which is that we repeatedly hear people saying, I didn't feel comfortable in the moment saying anything. Um, 
I would like to embolden people in the moment to say something. I would like to, you know, um, to me, that seems like a behavior among other like, yes, okay, we want to address certain predatory behaviors by men like, you know, and and so like one of the stories um, in this is. The whole media men list begins, from my understanding, with the fact that Moore Donegan is working at the New Republic and there's a new boss. And Wayne McCormick, kind of, who I know. Well, well no, like, but there's somebody right. named Hamilton Fish. Right, right, the right. Fifth. Right, right. And he is a toucher. And he comes in and, you know, he, he, he gives you a massage. and he Like, I've had bosses like that. I know it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I I know that it's difficult. It would be very difficult to uh, to say something about that. We what you need is an HR department, but um, <laughs> which they had gotten rid of a year, year year before the article says, and so there hadn't been replaced. And yeah, I, but I, mean, I do understand that. But there's a there's so many other examples of this where it's not necessarily your boss. It's it's somebody else at college, it's somebody else that you was a peer, you know, and, and what's not being said is I'm uncomfortable with this. Like people talk so much about women finding their voice and, and being able to speak. Like I want women to find their voice here. I, I, well, I'm not blaming women who didn't. I, I'm, what I'm saying is if part of what these explosions can do is give us like inspire us to think about how they don't happen in the future, this is something I would like to see more of. And I worry that the, you know, it gets what's happening is instead of addressing the one person who could change the behavior, I address everyone other than that person by putting it online. So, I wonder, you know, one thing in the article that um, the author was stressing was, well, you know, it's sort of like when, you know, whether it's, you know, 20-year-olds throwing mashed potatoes on a Monet and saying, well, we've tried everything else. Nothing works except for this. Um, There was a bit of an insinuation in the article. It's like, well, you know what? Changes needed to happen. So, you know, if anything else, if nothing else, this has made change happen. There might be something to that. I don't know. I will also say, and and we've talked about this before, um, you you now have created a culture where, you know, people, you're not allowed to date someone that you work with. If it's, now there's like these laws on the books, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, People say, I don't want to be in an elevator with with a male colleague because I'm going to feel unsafe. I cannot, I, I don't have enough fingers on my hands to tell you the number of men that have told me they no longer, like, they, they don't even want to shake a woman's hand like at an event or, an, an, or at a literary event. I was with someone the other day and he's kind of well-known in the literary community and he goes to certain events um, and he'll see someone he's known for 20 years and he's going to give her a hug and he's like, I, I don't do it. I don't do it because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to come back later that I felt uncomfortable when he hugged me. Now, This was not the same. Now, I'm not saying it's okay. I've, of course, been in this situation too, where people that are like, they're giving you like shoulder rubs. And believe me, I like a shoulder rub. And I'm very happy for almost anyone to give me a shoulder rub. But maybe not this creepy guy that I don't really know. Right. You know, and like you're in a thing and you don't, you got to kind of get out of it. Um, But it has created an environment of, of people 
not feeling comfortable to be just affectionate. And that, that I, that I, that I, I'm, I don't live in that world because my friends, we just are. But have you heard this from men or seen this yourself in action? What I've heard is men that are concerned about having um, female mentees. In other words, that women that they have to spend a lot of time with in work. This is not in the literary community. This is in other jobs. You know, they might take trips together. Like, they're not going to do that. No, no. No, because... I mean, I don't... Is that progress? I mean, it's... um, Obviously, (laughs) I mean, that, that part is not. Is it... Is there progress in an awareness that men cannot get away with certain kinds of behavior that they did before? Maybe. I mean, you know, like what's the, what's the pro and con column on this? Work culture used to be really bad. Like, like, like women had to put up with a lot of stuff. True. Like, especially in the eighties and seventies and eighties, you know? We've talked about this before, that when you go back and you read these stories about the 70s and 80s, which is where a lot of these, um, you know, where a lot of these ideas start, that's it. You're, you, you'll, you'll be shocked at what women were putting up with. And now we've emerged into a time where it's all these sort of micro things. Right. But, right. But the it, same, but the same tool is being applied. Right. Well, speaking of tools, one of the things I'd wanted to ask uh, Stephen was, you know, this was really one of the most, at least in the media world, it was a gambit uh, whether, you know, Maura Donegan admits it or not, or whether it was deliberate or not, um, to to destroy. You know, it's you. it was using the internet to destroy people. Now, she may claim that she didn't want this list. She never thought it was going to get out. She didn't know it was hurt anybody. I, I don't believe that. I, I don't know how, how far she thought it was going to spread, but the idea that this would not have, that people didn't know that this was going to have repercussions for the people on the list, because and that's right in the top of the article. That's like in, in, in paragraph three. Well, we didn't know. We didn't know that this would have any repercussions to the people accused of rape. I don't believe that. I do not believe that. I, I, and, and, and if they're being serious, that they did not think that accusing someone publicly of rape was going to have any repercussions, then they're not a grown up. Then they, 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 they don't live in the real world. Would you say destroy? They were trying to destroy or just take down? I, I think destroy feels too strong. I think they were trying to hurt. Okay, when I wrote, I wrote an article uh, about you know, Laura Albert, who was the literary hoaxer, she posted right. JT Leroy. And in the very end of the article, I I was speaking to a guy that she'd pulled a hoax on when she was a teenager. That happened to be someone my brother knew. And at the very end, he said, well, I get it. She wanted people to hurt as much as she was hurting. Okay. Isn't that a, a, a phrase in AA, like hurt people, hurt people, something like that? Yes. Um, so I, I maybe imagine some of these people on the list that filled it out, they hurt and whether it was passively or actively, they, they were out to make other people hurt. And in that they were successful. I don't consider that to be the way 
we move things forward in a better way. We're going to move things forward in a better way by hurting a lot of people. I don't, I don't, I don't really get that. Um, I wonder, I sometimes wonder if, um, you know, people keep moving towards sexual harm because it is the most actionable and electric and explosive uh, accusation that you can make. And, and so it's a door that you can open using lots of different metaphors. Um, but that in other words, there is hurt Maybe because that person rejected you. Maybe because that person fired you. Maybe because that person didn't acknowledge you. Like, um, there's all sorts of a bundle of hurt. Right. But the accusation goes towards the sexual harm because that's the one that will... It's going to have legitimacy, right? Make a difference. It's going to have legitimacy. If if I didn't, if a guy, an editor didn't like my article or if he didn't call me back, who cares? No one's going to care about that. Um, or if maybe he didn't, I asked him out for a drink and he didn't want to go with me. Nobody's going to care about that. But if I say that he, there was some sort of sexual misconduct, well, that's going to get your attention. I you don't get a know. a lot of attention, but, I, and I, which is not to say that I'm saying these are made up. I'm saying the harm of them might be amplified. Yes, for sure. I, I there was an interesting, uh, uh, part in this in terms of in the article. Um, so Donegan, who started this list, who she is, uh, she says it herself in the piece, or they, they quote other things that she'd said. She was a messy, unhappy person and a messy, unhappy person caused a big mess and unhappiness. I mean, big, big shock, right? Mm -hmm. um, but she uh, had deleted um, uh, many or all of the emails she had at the time uh, that this was going on, which it's it, what I found was interesting. Um, you know, Stephen did file the lawsuit within the one year he needed to in order to have it be valid, I guess, or to move forward. Um, she had already deleted uh, these, these emails, um, which to me, kind of is like, well, why do you delete an email? If it's just not spam, why do you delete an email? Because you don't want it to be seen. But I didn't, I, I didn't realize that Google, or at least it said so in the piece, only keeps deleted stuff for so long. So we're never actually going to be able to, or Stephen, they don't think he's going to be able to actually find um, who made these accusations because, because the information has gone. I say the internet's forever, but it's not. Yeah, I guess it's not. Um, Okay. Well, uh, I think we have do some you, other things to do today. Yeah. What? Yeah. Did, yeah. Did you want to talk about, I mean, so it's interesting. This is five years after yes. Me Too. And so that gives you a sense of how slow the legal system works. Um, we're starting to see this one um, move through the courtroom. And uh, I don't even think it's going to court till next year. Yeah, but as 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 Stephen said, I guess they're slow rolling it. I guess her legal team is slow rolling it. I don't I don't know why. I don't know the ins and outs of the lawsuit, but I do know he pops into New York. Like, I mean, he comes to New York anyway uh, for visit. He was in Chicago. That's where we were speaking with him. He lives there most of the time. Uh. Um, but he has to come in because he has to do a court date. But it's slow. It's super slow. I mean, it's it, obviously he's filed this in t October 2018. It's four years later. So but I don't know why. Where I was going with this is that there are actually four or five, maybe, Me Too cases going on right now. Um, that is true. 
it's it's like all these controversies were planted many years ago and now they have borne fruit. Um, so the Harvey Weinstein trial has started in LA. This is his second trial. He was convicted in New York, although that, that case is actually, that is currently up for appeal, um, which kind of raises the stakes on this LA, on this LA trial. Uh, the, we just saw the resolution of one of the, the, uh, cases against, Kevin Spacey. That was Anthony Rapp um, was not successful in his attempt to bring a $40 million civil suit against Kevin Spacey for um, battery, as um, the case called it, um, that happened should- back in, oh my gosh, when did it happen? It was like 1982 six or something like that. It was like, when, when, when rap was 14. Yeah. Rap had, was 14 and, and Spacey was 26. And he had been, rap had been in an event with a 19 year old friend and afterwards somehow were hanging out with Spacey. And I think at Spacey's apartment, was it? Yeah. And Spacey asked them back to their apartment. Now there's different <laughs> versions of this story. Um, you know, Kevin Spacey says he never had a party, uh, this year during this time period, Anthony Rapp, uh, though, you know, was likely at his house under some circumstances. Um, uh, according to Anthony Rapp, Kevin Spacey picks him up play drunkenly, by the way, Kevin Spacey's loaded, picks him up, puts him down on the bed. Now remember Anthony Rapp's only 14 years old and he's not a big guy. Um, and then rubs himself against Anthony Rapp's hip. Um, it's, I'm, I have no doubt it was a very uncomfortable situation. Rapp then squirms out from underneath him and exits. But we should also say right before that, the 19 year old friend whose name I'm not remembering, he had been on, in one version of the story, he had been on the bed with Spacey doing exactly what Rapp explained then had happened to him correct i think that's right and i can't tell if these are you know there's different versions of this story okay. one you know nobody can quite remember this is a really long time ago and uh you know it's true that there's a 19 year old there that is flirting with spacey spacey does come on to him um the 19 year old is sort of uh, worried about anthony being there and kind of shuts it down and then they leave. Um, that nineteen-year-old who is now a is a grown actor, and I forget his name. Um, he said, "You know, I didn't, I didn't really think it was anything at the time." You know, and he went on the stand and said that, which I think contributed. Maybe I mean, first of all, I think asking for forty million dollars twenty thirty something years later is what I would consider overreach. Um, so and I just I, never understood why the number was so high. I just never understood. Like it's to me, it is likely that something happened here, but why that number? It seems way. It's it doesn't also, seem commensurate. It seems to me it's a bid for relevancy, right? It's like what how am I? Well, because you're okay, Anthony Rapp is he a big actor? No. I, I think, you know, mm. but no, because look, we're still. 
we're still in this moment where we are reckoning with me too, right? So if he's going to come out, he could go to Kevin Spacey and say, dude, you know what? You fucking suck. I was 14 years old and you did this to me. And meanwhile, you know, Kevin Spacey has not had a very great couple of years. He's he's lost a lot too. It would be one more person coming up to him and saying this. And he could have, you know, Spacey, if this happened, he could apologize, right? Well, or you could well, say no. that did happen. I mean, you know, look, but that did happen. Anthony Rapp in 2017 comes, you know, gives a story to BuzzFeed News that tells this tale. And it essentially kickstarts a bunch of other accusations about Kevin Spacey that end up in him being let go of House of Cards. He has a breach of contract against him. Um, Kevin Spacey comes out and says, I don't know, like, I don't remember this, but if I did it, I owe this guy an apology. Okay. Um, That happened in 2017. And so then the question becomes, why does this then become a civil suit? Um, You know, I can't answer that. Uh, Could it be as simple as wanting to stay in the spotlight? That and or maybe wanting some money for some reason. I don't know. It just well, feels unfair, okay. and I I don't know Meaning why I'm pushing back. Yes, I don't know okay. why I'm pushing back on it so much. But it just it it like yes, okay. okay yes. What you said is possible. Um, but and and in fact, it's what the defense attorney for Spacey said. You know, like look, you're angry because this guy didn't come out of the closet and had an amazing career. And you did come out of the closet. And at a time when that was very difficult for actors, meaning Anthony Rapp was, was one of the the sort of early actors to, to publicly state that he was gay and perhaps it affected his career. And that part of what feeds this resentment are the years that Rapp watched Spacey become one of the biggest actors in the world, knowing that he was living a lie, knowing that he wasn't. And so this is when I talk about like, like, yes, there was sexual harm, but the sexual harm is the button they can press as opposed to all these other things that are also accumulating. We know that when there's a motive, like, like there's not one motive for behavior. There's never one motive. There's an accumulation and and intersecting motives. And so what you know, one of them would be this idea that that rap was really incensed that this person who and and by the way, you know, I don't there's like 12 other people that have accused Spacey of this kind of conduct. And I know that you and Steven were talking about like false accusations beget false accusations. I don't doubt that that's true. It's also true that true ones do. And I know Ben Dreyfus has has written about um, his brother having had uh, an incident, uh, I think, with with Spacey. All right, so uh, two things. Number one, a couple of things. Number one, okay, so rap has resentment. He's resentful of the fact that he has done what he feels is the brave thing by coming out about his sexuality. Spacey has not. Spacey's successful and rap is not. Okay, I can understand how that would build resentment. But also at the same time, it's not It's not rap's decision. This is not like you have to do what I did because I did it and it's good for, you know, gay people in general. This is... 
everybody's allowed to make their own decisions about how they're going to live their lives. Whether but if they're you going feel, to be, yeah, and I'm sure, I, I, I'm, like, you're allowed to have your own personal, like, like, oh, that guy's a fraud, like, you know, and and, and then, that, until the point of Me Too, that's where it stays. But what happens is that rap is sort of watching people talk about other actors, similar actors, and he's going, hey, you know, like, this happened to me. I think I'd like to speak about it. I, I don't, I don't really have a problem with rap telling Buzzfeed what happened to him in 2017. Um, I, what okay. I'm, I'm confused about then is why that's not enough. Maybe it's because in so many of these cases, people feel like the, the, like like what Stephen was saying, where people say like, oh, well, there there haven't been consequences. There need to be legal consequences for this person. I wonder, too, you know, Rap was a child actor. He started acting very young. And as we know, and we've spoken about child, the, the Hollywood for children is just absolute pure hell. It is just it is it is it is a terrible place for for young people to be. It looks like it's all starry and nice from the outside. It's not. It's horrible. And child actors are don't have an easy road. And I wonder if part of the lawsuit, even if it was, uh, uh, he was cognizant of it or not, was I was young and I was, I felt I was taken advantage of. And I'm going to move forward with this lawsuit kind of like as Symbolically. A, yes. Because just to, because, because kid actors are preyed upon That's and, interesting. and people have to know this. And this is one way I can maybe get this known. I wonder if that's like a little bit of, of, of what was motivating him. I, I thought it would maybe be opportunism or, or relevancy, but you know, you make good points. So maybe it was, it was motivated by something else in addition to, uh, his, his resentment over the fact that, um, that that Spacey had not come out or just the fact that he thought it should be known. Okay, he did. But like you said, $40 million, 30-something years later, it didn't, it didn't work. And I don't think it didn't work because, you know, Kevin Spacey has all this power because that's what's going to, this is what, what you hear. It's like, well, of course Anthony Rapp lost because he's not the movie star and Kevin Spacey is or was. And so we're always going to go with the one with the power. Um, I, I don't trials, know that that's true. Jury trials tend to be pretty good. I mean, like what I hear repeatedly from from lawyers is that, you know, like it's a pretty good system. And when they they deliberated for 90 minutes. And they just knew. And nobody Nobody was buying this. Yeah. And uh, he's going to have Spacey's going to have a series of more lawsuits like this is not he's not out of the woods yet. And I don't know that they'll all go this way. I just think this one was 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 not a particularly good case. Um, the other lawsuits that are going on are <clears throat> Paul Haggis, the filmmaker and screenwriter of the movie uh, He Did Crash, that terrible movie that won the Oscar in whatever year. Million everybody dollar hated, baby. Everybody hated that movie. I didn't. I didn't hate it. But anyway. Oh, you didn't hate it. I didn't. No, I didn't. Everybody hated it. I don't know why. I. I, I just didn't. I don't know what to tell you. I just thought it was. I just thought it was uh, <clears throat> mediocre. Okay. Um. So anyway, uh, he wrote that and um, million dollar baby and some other stuff. Anyway, uh, you know what he is probably most famous for um, is publicly leaving the Church of Scientology. He did a very long piece with Lawrence Wright in The New Yorker in 2011 called The Apostate, where he very publicly, you know, leaves that church, talks about its um, 
its dangers and why he stayed so long. One of the things he says in that piece is like, you're going to see in a couple of years, there's going to be accusations against me. And so fast forward and we're starting to see accusations against him. Uh, he has had two different, he actually had a, there was a case in Italy against him as well. <clears throat> that was later dismissed. He's now being sued by, um, sorry, not sued, but charges have been brought against him by a public events coordinator named Haley Briest. And she says that he forced oral sex and had sex with her in a hotel room in, I believe, 2013. Is she in the Church of Scientology? She is not. She has okay. absolutely no ties, nor do the other women that have come forward. Now, what Haggis is going to claim is that they got to her. Like, they were looking for anything on him that they could, and they paid her, or something like that. Like, there's going to be some... He's going to suggest a conspiracy to take him down. But what Breest is saying is, no, that's not it. And this mm -hmm. happened after he left the church. And there are a few other women that are saying very similar stories. Um, you know, to me, and I, I haven't followed this story super closely, but I've read a number of pieces about it. I got to say, this is not, to me, this is not sounding good for Paul Haggis. And, and, uh, you know, but it's, it's one of these interesting things where like we were talking, um, with Steven about how, when the Me Too movement hit, a lot of things that had happened were kind of like a lot of us were looking back and thinking about certain incidents and going and recategorizing them. We had a sort of new vocabulary for them. And Did, really? That, yes. You just, yes. Yes. Okay. Don't you think? What do you mean? Okay, so Me Too happened, and then I would go back into the Rolodex of my experiences with men and recategorize them? Is yeah, that like, was what that, you're saying? Yes. Was this incident rape? This thing that was very uncomfortable, that I had said no and he did it anyway, but I just kind of thought it was bad sex. Oh, I, so I was, I was writing at, um, I'm sorry, I was editing the personal essay section at Salon and I can just tell you that a lot of the essays I was being pitched during, not after, um, Weinstein, cause I wasn't actually at Salon anymore, but I'm saying back to like 2013, 14, 15 as the campus sexual assault thing is, is big. Like I'm getting a lot of stories from women that are like, was that sex rape? Was my bad sex rape, you know? Hmm. And I, I, I can only say for myself, that I'm like sitting here now thinking about certain incidents, like one when I was like 15, you know, it's kind of like, like I would call it more like pressure sex, like coercion, oh, really, you know, like, oh, I don't really want to do this, but I have been making out with the guy for, you know, 40 minutes voluntarily and okay, whatever, like, but I I did not re I it actually never would occur to me to recategorize that because 
I was a participant in that. I did not, you know, I could have said no. I didn't. And because for whatever, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, The one thing I did do when this happened is I thought of all the times that I've been at like various magazines or newspapers and different editors had hit on me, like basically made passes, mm-hmm. which was fine. I, people are going to make a pass. It's, hey, this is the way we are in the world. We, we think someone's attractive. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take our shot. And sometimes we're, it's going to land and sometimes it's going to not. But I did think about those and thought like, huh, they were in a position over me, but I never, it never occurred to me that that was, that that was untoward. Because right, people, but it's you know, but that's I mean, you know, like I feel like one of the things that happened is that people there was a new there was a a new paradigm for like what was harm, and so part of the reaction to that was older people saying that's not harmful, and then the other reaction to that was older people maybe running the scanner over their past and being like, wait, maybe that was harmful, and I didn't realize it. Okay, that's but that- fair, right? Well, I don't know. That's very tricky, Sarah. It's like, well, it was harm, but I didn't realize it. So now I'm going to feel the harm. It's like, okay, I took this pot out of the oven without a pot holder and I grabbed the handle, which was hot, but I didn't realize at the time that it was hot, but now I do. So is my hand going to blister now? What? People do this about their past all the time. I mean, there are ways that we see our childhood differently as we get older and we understand perhaps um, things that shaped us or affected us. I think the argument would be that, no, your your hand's not going to blister now, but not, I mean, but what if your hand blistered all those years ago and it scabbed over and you've never really acknowledged it? Well, then I would think I'm a badass. Okay. You know, <laughs> I, you know, you. But other then, people might not. I mean, you know, I, look, and I, I know that I actually think this is like an, an a completely reasonable thing for women to be doing, to be. Uh, now, to what extent this should result in lawsuits? That's a different question. But to right. understand our past and to maybe say, oh, you know, like I understand this differently now. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't mean, have a problem with it. But, I know you don't. But, I, I, you know, going- this, I think this is something where, you know, in 2013, this person, you know, the text messages she sends the next day are like, are like, um, trying to forget last night. He definitely fucked me. He tore me. He was so rough and aggressive. <gasps> Never again. Oh my and God. This she, is the Haggis thing? Yes. And she goes okay. on to to call the incident borderline rape because this is 2013 and you just don't, you know, but she also has all these lines about how she's sort of like, but he's a big director and he's really nice. <laughs> like I totally, I, I don't know. For me, I get this person. I, I, I can, I can see you're not going to file charges, but then many years later you look back and you're like, God, that was just, that was not right. You know? Oh, I, I agree with you. I haven't read this, so I, I I don't know. But I mean, I agree with that. And I absolutely do know the situation. I mean, I've read about it um, where 
people are blinded by, you know, or they're not blinded. There's like, but he's such a big director. Yeah. I mean, he's such, he's so important. Like I, and, and he liked me, like we were at the party, but I was the one that went home with him to his hotel room. Like you almost feel like you're, you're special in a sense. And then it's like, fuck, I'm not special at all. I'm a exactly. piece of meat here that he's going That's to right. fuck. And so I, I get the, the definite, uh, the definite stress here. Would I prefer that she had gone the next day and said, or whenever, not just texted a friend and said, I, I feel like I've been sexually assaulted. I think I've been, yes, of course, because now this becomes so, it becomes much more difficult for her too, right? It's almost 10 years later. You don't have a rape kit. You also are going to be disbelieved because they're like, but wait a minute, did you go to his hotel room? Uh, you did? Well, what's happening here? So it becomes very, very, it becomes very murky and very difficult. Now you're telling me that maybe it's not going to be so difficult because of the, uh, an accumulation of people bringing There's these two or stories. three other people that are telling very similar stories. There was a, there was a woman that told a story about going to his hotel room. And, and I, you know, in, in that case, it was almost like he told her they were going to a conference and then he's like, Hey, let's go to my hotel room. Like it, it was real. It was a real bait and switch situation. And then he pushed her against the wall and like had her hand in his, her jaw in his hand and was kissing her. And she like squirms away and runs out. But she was like, look, I, I felt like there'd something had changed in his eyes and like that would have gone another way. Yeah. There, that's there's, bad. there's two that's bad. or three. This is not one person saying this. Um, um, if I had a piece of advice for women or I guess men too, um, don't, don't go to someone's hotel room if you're not planning to do something with them. It's, it's never going to, I, I actually wound up in a hotel room. It's actually with a, a friend of mine that I know and like, and he wanted me, he was just like unpacking. I went with him and at the minute I got in that room, I'm like, I need to get out of here. Not that I thought he was going to do something. I just, I knew he was going to make a move. I knew it. I just, I, it, it's inevitable. If you go to a hotel room with a dude well, anyway. now, but like in 2013, it's like, I don't know. I wouldn't have even thought anything about it. Okay. He's got to, he's got to stop and get something in his hotel room. Okay, cool. I mean, I, uh, now it's become like hitchhiking, you know, like, like, like don't, don't go into someone's hotel room. But back then, I, I don't know. Um, uh, so there is the two, two other cases. Um, Danny Masterson, who is from that 70s show. I have who not been following me. that. This, this is another Scientology thing. And who's who are the accusers? I, I, I two of them are his ex girlfriends. Oh boy, that's it's just so messy. It's and so messy. there is a separate um, case against the Church of Scientology for coming after these people. Like they claim that the Church of Scientology basically made their life hell after they went to the LAPD. I would believe that. Yes. I mean, and, and it's, it's stuff like, like somebody's food truck was suddenly for sale on some website. Somebody's dog got either like hurt or, I mean, it's, it's a series of, yeah, it's bad things. Yeah. Um, so we've got two pieces, uh, you know, two Scientology stories in the news, one from somebody that left the church with somebody did not. Um, and then another, did you even know Cuba Gooding Jr. had been accused of, I did not. Drunkenly groping people. And I did not. Yeah, he just pled to a lesser charge, and so he's not going to do jail time. <sighs> hmm. So, 
So here we go. And the, and the Harvey Weinstein thing is going to be pretty, is going to be pretty big. Uh, he, he's still in, he's still in prison, right? He is in prison. Yeah. He's a much diminished man. Um, he's old, he's like an elderly, like 70. elderly man. I, I didn't realize that when I saw he was 70, I was shocked. I thought he was much older. Um, and, and he certainly looks older now. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's not well. Where is he in prison? Is it New York? Yeah, he's in New York. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I did not realize, you know, there, there, I think four or five Jane Doe's in the lawsuit against him in Los Angeles. And one of them is Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who is the wife of Gavin Newsom. Uh, you told me that. And I just was, uh, I am not a Gavin Newsom fan right. at all. Right. And then her accusation, what was her accusation? It was a bit queer and queasy making. Well, this is something. something? No, 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 no. This is this is the one where what was brought up in the opening statements by his lawyer who really who really came out swinging in those opening statements. um, She said she faked an orgasm to end the assault. And and so it's, you know, that's one of those where like, you know, as the, as the lawyer said, like there's no more enthusiastic sign of consent than somebody repeatedly saying yes. And it's, you know, and, and then Weinstein was a big donor to the Democratic Party and he contributed to Gavin Newsom and they, the Weinstein had them as guests and, uh, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, I also have to say, I, I can't remember the context exactly, but the, but the lawyer uh, said, like, called her a bimbo in the opening statements. Oh, okay. So, question. So, when she was assaulted or allegedly assaulted by Harvey Weinstein, when was this? And was she, why was she, how did this happen at all? Was she? How, I mean, it's two thousand and five, and she's an aspiring actress at the time. Okay, and so somewhere there's some place where they get into a room where they can have sex. Yeah, and she claims it is he it allegedly is assaulting her. Yeah. And he claims it's transactional sex. I mean, the, the, the way that the, that the defense is setting it up is basically like, look, this is a structure that was in play in Hollywood for years. You may not like it. Um, it may be morally wrong, but it was not illegal. This was transactional sex. And, and we, we know that this obviously has existed since, you know, yeah, in Hollywood. Um, but, yeah. And, and you know, but to what extent did these women know that they were doing this or this was expected of them? There is also a story. One of the first people they put on the stand was a woman who she like didn't speak English and he like snuck into a room or like came to a room unannounced. No. And no, no, it's no. honestly, it's really bad. It's really no, he, bad. No, he No, he's he's like. He is not an innocent man at all. No. Um, um, but I will say that, you know, we know, women know that um, I haven't done this, but I've heard this is pretty common that women will fake an orgasm in order to just like get it over with. They're like, okay, I'm done. If he thinks I'm done, then he'll be done because he's oh, been waiting. For sure. He's been waiting for me to come. So now I've come so he can stop and now we can go to sleep or but whatever. That's the, yeah. Like that's, it, that's common, right? One I, of the I, reasons you fake an orgasm is to I, end everything. Right. And right. so, I, 
but you know. the thing is that if I do find it a little strange, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, if you were being sexually assaulted, even if you just want to get it over with, but then you would, but you would fake an orgasm you while just, you were being assaulted. You okay, just, I'll, you know, okay, it's, it's okay. It, it's it's this tricky thing where women will make the calculation t- that it'll just be easier to let it happen. And legally, how we deal with that mindset is one of the things at play here. I think because, it, I mean, because traditionally, if you just let it happen, well, you're going to have to like that was uh, that's your burden to carry. And now the the tides are shifting a little bit and that's not necessarily true anymore. Like if it was unwanted, if you expressed that it was unwanted, um, the lines are, they're difficult. You know, it was interesting. There was a, there was a Daily Beast story about this because the guy, the, the the guy who did the opening statements. I mean, there's like a certain way you can talk in this day and age to like thread the needle of not being offensive. And he just didn't do it at all. Like he was just like, he came out swinging. Like I said, he used the word bimbo, which I haven't heard the word, that word in like 25 years. Except Um, on a bag of bread, there's bimbo bread. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe he was (laughs) referring to the product. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but I was interested in that Daily Beast piece because one of the lawyers who was in the room, who was watching it and and basically saying like, yeah, what the hell was this? Um, She is a lawyer who represented Christine Blasey Ford. And she said, you know, they're trying to represent this as transactional rape. Well, I mean, uh, as transactional sex, (laughs) she said, well, transactional sex is rape, period, hard stop. In other words, I mean, like like I said, one of the things at stake here is that the definition of rape keeps expanding. And so what we put underneath that umbrella is going to change. How far back in the past does it go? Does it go back to 2005? Um, you know, in California, they've changed the laws where, you know, there isn't as much of a statute of limitations. So this. They changed the um, the definition of rape in New York State a couple of years ago. Um, and then they had these things. It's like, oh, my God, look at the percentage that rape has gone up. And it's like, well, because now there are more things that are considered rape. It yeah, wasn't that's that exactly was, right. You know, that's... it wasn't that there was more like penetrative sex rape. It was like, well, and they also were now were including men, which they hadn't included before. So it is. It's well, and beca- this is this is one of the things that I didn't get a chance to bring up with Stephen. And it's a little bit uncomfortable. But I mean, like he can he he defines rape as penetrative sex. But the definition of rape has really expanded so that it doesn't necessarily like like it could be digital, um, something yeah. else, yep. like an object. Like there are so many different things that constitute rape now. Yeah, it, it has changed. It's a, but that's interesting because when I think when you say the term trans transactional sex, which I've actually never heard, to me what that would mean is sex as a transaction. Like I okay, you're going to give me $500 and we're going to have sex. We just had a transaction. That would be transactional sex. So when you're saying that the transactional sex you're talking about in this is she, or they're presenting it as the fact like, well, she wanted something which was an advancement to her career, we're going to assume. And she thought he was the person that could do that. So that was the transaction. Is that yeah. is that how they're describing it? Yeah. Okay. For well, yeah. all right. So if, if, if so, then... 
if the attorney, Christine Blasey Ford's uh, attorney is saying, well, all transactional sex is rape, I, I don't think that that's actually true unless that you're saying then uh, is if if I'm a, if I'm selling sex, I'm getting money for it. But is that still rape? In her yeah, estimation, man, I don't, I don't, personally, I don't agree with that statement that transactional sex yeah. is rape. I, 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 I don't. Uh, I, don't I just thought either. it was. I thought it was interesting that that was being asserted, and I don't know to what extent it will come into play in this, um, in in this case. Um, I think uh, I suspect. Well, I don't know. I it's going to be going on for a couple of weeks, and I'll keep an eye on it. I I shouldn't say much, but I suspect he will be found guilty. Yeah, yep. Um, because part of it is, you know, however you define that entanglement, some of his behavior is so gross around it and coercive, and um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Was there anything else on our docket today, Miss Sarah? Did you want to talk about Sashin Littlefeather? Yeah, a little bit. So um, some people may know Sashin Littlefeather uh, was a, or we believed she was a Native American uh, activist. Uh, and when Marlon Brando was given the Academy Award, I was it for, what was the, what wasn't the Godfather, was it? It was Last Tango in Paris. What was the award for he was getting? What was what was Marlon Brando getting the Academy Award Godfather. for? The Godfather. 1973, The Godfather. Right. So she, he, as a as a statement, he did not go up to accept the award. He sent this woman, Sashin Littlefeather, who got onto the Academy Award stage and basically said that, you know, Native's treatment in Hollywood had been atrocious. And it was a big, it was a very big deal. I mean, it's one of the biggest deals ever in the Academy Awards. Um, she was variously, you know, pilloried for this. There was like the story that John Wayne apparently like was going to like, you know, hit her or something afterwards. I don't I don't know if that's true at all. Um, she did get and, booed. She she got booed yeah. while she was up there. Yeah. Um, she um, talks about how it was, you know, it's basically a protest of the the treatment of Native Americans in film. Yeah, in film and and you know in general, and in general. obviously and obviously Native Americans were treated terribly when uh when you know when white settlers came to this country and and other settlers came to this country and we that's kind of like not uh that's not uh, up for debate. Um, in any case, um, she was definitely a hero to the Native community. Now, as many people who are listening to this already know, I I have ties to the Native com community. My ex, my late ex whose birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Tim. Um, uh, he was full-blood Native. Um, his dad was a big Native actor who starred in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, the movie, playing the big chief. My daughter's half Native. I have to say, Sashi Littlefeather was never someone we talked about a lot. I've never met her. Um, and I have met a lot of different Native activists. Um, but in any case, she was, you know, pretty much heralded. She was one of the one of the stars in the sky, I guess, to the natives and in, in general, I, to a lot of people. Well, she died uh, last month. And it turns out uh, her sisters uh, came out uh, last week, I believe, and said, hey, she's not native. She never was. Uh, she had no native blood. And we are, I, I don't exactly know why they felt that now was the time to come out and say this. Um, but it was a pretty big um, statement and it caused a bit of a brouhaha and a bit of a split. Um, I mean, there were people that were saying, well, how, you know, she has 
she has Mex- she I guess the family was part Mexican mm-hmm. and you know that that can be considered native so mm-hmm. but that was not what she was doing she was she was claiming I guess different tribes and then people were like well so what she was she was completely accepted by the native community she did a lot of really great things for natives so what do you care if she was not really native or not my position was I, I I didn't really have a big position except to kind of go online and say, you know, this is a pretty well-known thing. They're called pretendians, right? They're mm-hmm. people, let me tell you, people want to be native, all right? They they want to have native blood in their background. There's a there's a party trick you can do that my my ex taught me, which was if you're if you're with someone and they say, uh, oh, you know, yeah, I'm part, I'm part Indian too, you say, oh. What tribe? And he's like nine out of ten times they're going to say Cherokee, and uh, and 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 what you'll say to them is like, I bet you're Cherokee, and they'll go, Oh my God, how did you know? And it, you could just say, Oh well, you know, it's the bridge of your nose or something. Well, what it actually is is that the Cherokees were known to have intermarried with whites. Okay, so mm-hmm. a lot of people that are white may actually have some Cherokee blood. Um, we also used to tease their their we call them members of the wannabe tribe, right? They just want to be native because they think of natives as spiritual and special and closer to the land and the things that we should admire. Um, in any case, I, I went online and, and just kind of talked a, a little about it. I don't really have anything against Little Feather, but I thought it was just interesting. Uh, also, people should know if they don't already know, uh, the 1960s, 1970s um, commercial with the the native with the tear coming down his face, you know, because there was so much trash being thrown in America. He was actually a Sicilian, okay? He was not <laughs> at all, he was not native. She was just at, in the tradition of Hollywood, of right, somebody very different, basically playing a Native ironized, American. Ironized Cody, I actually was at two or three events with him uh, when I, my daughter was a baby because there'd be like Native American events and he would come and he was old and his wig was dusty and it was all askew at this point. In any case, it caused a bit of a brouhaha, the fact that she wasn't Native. And I think there was a bit of a shade in Florida, like, oh, look at that. She's not even really Native, which I'm like, I don't know, what, what kind of mileage are you getting out of that? I didn't think that it was that interesting. But I will say when I was making some comments online on Twitter, like, okay, so here's, I was basically being informational. I was like, here's how, if you're Native American in this country, the way that you are, that you're of a tribe is you have something called a CDIB card, which is the certificate degree of Indian blood. And so if you're half or you're a quarter, and then also you're on their tribal roles. My daughter has both cards. <laughs> the minute she was born, her aunties were like, we're getting her these cards. <clears throat> anyway, I went on explaining that and I had people come on and say, are you native? I'm like, no. <clears throat> As though me just explaining. You're not allowed to talk about it. Not allowed to talk about it because I'm not native. I'm like, well, dude, you know what? I also wrote a book about a woman that murdered her son. I didn't happen to murder my kid. Am I not allowed to write this book? So what's your point? They didn't come back at me, which was interesting. But <clears throat> what did you uh, what did you glean from this, if you, if you did at mm. all? I mean, you know, it's it's always <coughs> interesting. Well, it, it has such Rachel Dolezal overtones, right? Um, you remember Rachel Dolezal? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Who pretended to be uh, to be uh, black and and got a lot of I, I I don't really remember is she in academia I don't remember what what she 
I don't remember if she was or not, but she was running a like a a chapter of the I want to say NAACP. Like there was definitely like a like a like an African-American activist organization that she was the head of. And she was known to do a lot of things for the community. And then it came out that she wasn't black. Um, You know, there's a series of these stories. I guess what it. You know, it's that interesting place where marginalized identity has status. (laughs) or now. Well, I mean, it didn't, I mean, hey, you know what? And and everybody will tell you this. I mean, like w- back even in the seventies, it's like, you didn't want to announce that you were native, right? Because you were going to, you were going to get shat on or you're going to get, you know, hit in the head with a tire iron. I mean, these are stories that I heard. I mean, not that my people weren't proud. They were, but it was well, not like you were y- celebrated in the same way as it is now. But one of the the things we then, the, I mean, if that's true, which I, I have no doubt that it was, why does she take on this identity? And one of the things that comes out in the article is that she was trying to create a modeling career and that it was something that, that you know, gave her uh, a specialness was that she was this Native American model and she starts doing pictures. You know, she had gone to, I think, Berkeley in the 60s. And then in 1970, she comes out and she starts doing photo shoots like in Native dress. And it's kind of working for her, right? Because like the thing is, is that that has so much, that has so much traction. Um, well, you're, whether, you're, you're whether or not like uh, what you're saying about like individual identity, I'm I'm sure is true. But in the in pop culture, there's also there's probably a hunger for different kinds of people at that time. Well, she's going to stand out. She's going to no stand out. You, what is the thing you have to do? You absolutely have to do in an entertainment in the entertainment you world. Stand out. You have to stand out. Um, there was an interesting thing the- about her posing for Playboy too. I had no idea this stuff had happened. But anyway, um, you know, and then she sort of runs with it. Um, you know, I, I, I can't get too, um, exercised, exercised about this. I do think, I mean, that was, it was sort of interesting that it came out like what, like a couple weeks after she died, like yeah. she's died recently and, it's, I don't know, that felt a little bit weird. Yeah, I don't, I, that's sort of where it's like, why didn't her sister say something 40 years ago? I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I think, you know, like, so let's say you are, you, you've you gone to, you're now getting this modeling career and you're being considered special and you're getting jobs. Like, the horse is out of the barn. Like, what are you going to do? You, you're you're yeah. going to go with it. And the fact of the matter, and now when, when people say that she'd done great things for the Native community over the decades, that may very well be true. I don't know because I just don't know her history. And I think it's fine. I also wonder, like, are Natives mad about this? Like, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. So, you know, what's it? I want to, before I forget, I don't know. I, I had a fifth column episode on recently and I was kind of like half falling asleep. But I think that they were saying that Rachel Donazal has an OnlyFans. Oh, they've been page? talking about Rachel Donazal's OnlyFans page, and I still cannot figure out if it's a I, if I it's a joke or not. I and I have not know. gone to OnlyFans to uh, to, to confirm ex- this. So somebody were, else will have to do that work for us. They were teasing Camille about it. It's like, oh, you saw that, huh, Camille? How's that going? Anyway, oh no, no, I didn't look. Anyway, um, I uh, yeah, I can't get to I I. 
I too cannot get too exercised about uh, the little feather thing. And I and I can tell you, nobody in my family or my daughter has said a word about it. I actually sent her the piece about about um, uh, Sashi Little Feather, and she didn't even respond. She's like, whatever. Right. You know, I, I have to wonder if transracial identities is is something that we'll see more of. I mean, especially as people have. Uh, kind of like the polyglot nature of our culture, that there will be a certain kind of like racial identity. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but like I kind of think like Rachel Dolezal might be somebody that people look back on and say like she was the first. To create? You mean just to, well, what do you mean? To to sort of to say to sort I, don't of feel, I don't feel white. I don't feel white. Oh, I think this has been going on forever. I oh my feel god! Black. Or I mean, I remember growing up, and uh, my my best friend, we were like half of our crowd was Puerto Rican, and my friend really wanted to be Puerto Rican. Like she just wanted that, and she just kind of like she was speaking Spanish, and she was like doing the things. Like she she put it on. Now she wasn't. She was like a German American girl. But um, I think you, I think they just take it to a they take it to a further. Mm-hmm. extent. I want to also mention something else, and I, I can't remember why, but Camille Foster had an interesting tweet the other day and uh, about race and how people were like, you know, this is my race and this and I can't raise a child of a different race or whatever. I have to say, he put this up, never in my life ever have I thought of my child as biracial. Never. It never occurred to me because I think this is nonsensical. Does that make sense? Like, what? You mean the term biracial is nonsensical? Yeah, yeah I would just, I just don't, I don't understand why you would like stand I'm, on that hill. I'm technically biracial. I mean, no, I'm not. No, I'm uniracial. What? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really? I, I, no, I'm not. Are, yeah, I, I just are we feel learning something way. here today? I just feel you that just way. feel. What's your other race, Sarah? No, today? no, no. I was thinking. <laughs> don't just erase. Just delete. I don't know what you're talking about. We don't know. We we don't know what we're talking about because we've gone way long here today. Um, um, Okay, and and actually, we have another little bit that we're gonna we're gonna put out. We should save it for a different. We will. We're going to. We're going to. Um, Guys, thanks for sticking with us um, so long. We're gonna thank you so much, Stephen Elliott, for joining us today. Um, please become a, uh, a, a free or premium subscriber. Tell your friends. We'll have lots of share buttons here. And, um, Sarah Hepla, it was lovely to see you. Oh my God. Nancy Ramaman. I'm going to see you in person very soon. I'm going to see you in person on Sunday. That's right. What's Sunday? Nancy's birthday. Yes, it is. And, uh, and we'll do a, um, we'll do an episode for, together. Maybe we'll even video it right from this very studio for you guys next week. So thanks everyone. Bye. Welcome. I'm really sorry, Stephen, but your bicycle's been stolen. I was watching it for you till you came back in the fall. I guess I didn't do such a good job after all. I was feeling really sorry, Stephen, and I spent some more.